0: Dragonheart, I am Che Long and I'm joined by Mark Griffiths, a very special Dragonheart today as we have an exclusive interview with Sean Harvey.
1: Absolutely, yeah, the the big man, a man with remarkable experience in football and in general in business and it was certainly fascinating to catch up with him and ask your questions because you guys pulled no punches and what you wanted to know from him, so yeah, it's
0: it's a good listen, this one. It's. It, it, I'm really looking forward to listening to it myself. So, here is our exclusive interview with Sean Harvey.
2: I'm Jake Hyde, and this is Dragonheart.
1: Sean, thank you so much for joining
2: us. Pleasure.
1: And the first question I've got to ask you people keep saying Rob and Ryan, why Rexham? I think that's fairly obvious, I think. But for yourself, I mean, all the experience you've got. You know, that upper echelons of the game. Why have you chosen to be part of this
2: project? That's in, it's interesting because my involvement goes back well over you know twelve months now. In fact, I got I think I received probably the first call from the New York broker who Rob and Ryan had approached to find them a club, and you know I knew I'd known Steve Horowitz for many years primarily through the work I'd done with the EFL, in that all the purchases of clubs that he had from America had to effectively had to come via you know, our offices for, for approval. So I got the call, I got the call from Steve, just said, I've got two purchases of a club, at that stage, complete identities unknown, who, who wants to buy a National League club. Any ideas? We've done some research. We've come up with a couple of names. What do you think? Do you know anything about them? So, I first of all, my my involvement was purely to provide some on the ground advice in an area where you wouldn't expect somebody in New York to have full awareness of the details. And then, of course, COVID is a, is is around and in, tr- in truth, obviously still still with us to a lesser extent. And it was a case of: Can you just do this? Can you just do that? How? what do you think what do you think of this? And then obviously nobody could get over from the from the US to, you know, look at the club to undertake any form of due diligence. You know, and whilst, you know, the WST were providing any number of different answers to to the Robin Ryan's advisors, you know, f- to a certain extent you did need to see some of it mm-hmm. and to make sure that, you know, things were as they were being portrayed. So, you know, I got I got that call. Would I do that with the solicitors that Robin Ryan had, had responded? And then it was a case. I then found out, of course, it was Robin. It was, it was Robin Ryan. And generally, I was absolutely fascinated by what they wanted to try and achieve. You know, and, and as things went on, they asked me if I'd like to help them to deliver against you know their mission statement and against what it wanted to achieve. And I just actually generally thought it was fascinating. Not, not necessarily fascinating because it was Wrexham, mm. Fascinating because, you know, how are we going to try and measure to the influence of two individuals without any previous connection with the club, without any previous connection with the town, and how much influence they, they, could, they could bring and what is the level of that community benefit. So, you know, I've, I've often described this as it is completely different from any form of ownership model that I've seen, any 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 different objectives to that that are normal amongst the owners, and it's something that I actually wanted to try to be part to be part of, you know. And since those early days when you know it was another ro- a, a, another job or another role for the consultancy business that that I have, you know, I've grown fond of the place. And and to be honest, my time commitment here is far greater than it was ever envisaged. It would be certainly from my perspective, and part of that is, you know, to try and meet Robin Ryan's demands, to try and take this club forward as quickly as possible. But just is such a vast role for any one person to take on that you do need, you know, you do need a group of different people, and that's why we ultimately ended up with a group of consultants that to help Robin Ryan rather than just full time employees.
1: Because it is a a remarkable. Concept, and I'm I'm glad you said you thought it was unique because I can't think of anything like this where, in in some ways, the sort of currency brought in as well is the profile that you you can bring in. Deals because of the notion of who you'll be working with.
2: Yeah, and Mark, I've, I've spoken to any number of different you know, professionals in the industry over years, and you know, and I said this isn't the only thing that I do. But you know, and you, and you talk talk people through you know why you're involved, and obviously the explanation is consistent with the one that I've just given you. But the the thing that makes this different to everything else is that the measure of success isn't that that you would normally associate with a football club. On the pitch is easy you know win games and get promotion you know there's a measure that everybody could understand but you know Rob and Ryan have been really clear that ultimately they're going to measure the success of their investment into Wrexham Football Club by the level of community benefit that they're able to deliver you know and nobody's got a metric for measuring that and that's what makes it interesting for me because you know how do we? You know, if we if we were purely being judged on a traditional financial return on investment, you know, shareholder return, then there's a measure. Mm. But what is the measure? How do you measure community benefit? Mm. You know, you know, you walk around. You know, I've seen how many more shirts we've sold this year than in the past, and the reality is that means the community's engaged. Now it doesn't mean you you're only engaged if you bought a shirt. It's just one way, of demonstra- one way of demonstrating that. But what is the knock-on effect or the ripple effect from the person that pursues a shirt or the person that Worry. So, you know, that influence and impact on the local community, you know, is the bit that does make this unique. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it is a remarkable project, and I can see how that's the sort of
1: thing that can motivate you to be involved with it. If we could talk a little bit before we get on to the, the fussy side here, is so just your role, Alec Davis, because thank you very much for being willing to take people's questions yeah. and other davis asks can we have a little clarity on your remit as strategic advisors of the board and the difference to your role and the CEO role on a daily basis
2: so, so we'll try and we'll try we'll try and cut this we'll, we'll, we'll try and keep this as succinct yeah. as possible if it's difficult problematic or needs a, an overarching view, holistic view then usually it ends up with me so Ultimately, if I've got, I've got strategy and policy, so if we, if we try and break it down into that. In, in, into that. So the strategy you know the strategic to the board, that's you know this wonderful title. So effectively, Rob and Ryan put a mission statement together. So the easiest way to think about this is I am, I am responsible for ensuring that all the activities at the club, regardless of who they're undertaken by, are aligned to meet the terms of that mission statement. Okay, so everything I do at this club is keyed into delivery against the mission statement. So the goal of the mission statement was to, as we know, was to grow the team, return it to the AFL in front of increased attendances at an improved stadium while making a positive difference to the wider community in Wrexham. And I challenge everybody at any time who's thinking other the club meeting its commitments, go back to that statement. If you can understand... That having, having reread that statement to yourself why we are doing something, then you know we are on target. we are doing what it is that we said we would do now that 's a very general answer and you know and you know the you know the journalist would uh, be pushing well but what does that mean what does that mean so some specific examples of of what i've done today, and this is by no means the full the, fu- the full list because I have got involved in things that i'd never thought i'd be getting involved in again, but i've been happy to do that because. Actually, to meet the goal, to meet that goal, then we've all got to get involved with things that you wouldn't normally want to do. And I'm a firm believer. I would not ask somebody to do something I wouldn't do myself. And actually, sometimes leading, leading from the front or by example, or even allowing that experience to help other people shortcut situations is where, where you can provide that added value. So, I have negotiated every single player's contract that's come into this club since January last last year. So the re- the renegotiations with the players that were here or and indeed the new players the new players that have come whether they've had transfer fees or not I've negotiated all I've negotiated all those. So on the football side that's probably the my major contribution. I've never picked a player yet and I don't propose to start. So I'm sure we'll get onto the January transfer window and plans but the one thing you're not going to find is Harvey's picked X, Y, Z player. So, you know, Phil Parkinson and his team will know far more about it than I do. And we've got a very clear divide. Phil and his team identify the players. I negotiate the deals. The deals that are capable of being achieved and then go back into the football side of the business to make sure that they can, that they're happy with them. And if everybody's comfortable and it's inside the budgets that we set... The players get signed. So the test there is: does the player represent value for the club? Value can be defined in many different ways. You know, somebody who's going to score three goals every game obviously is for value for the here and now. But players could have a value by having a resale value in the future, or it could be generally. You know, that it's a horse for a horse, and a specific need to try and get to try and get us promoted. So we do that one. I work closely with Disney. Uh, as, as the club's contact for for all the business elements of the documentary, again the creative side of the documentary is is way outside my remit and somewhere I don't go anywhere near. But ultimately, that liaison with the club and ensuring that the club's portrayed in a manner that's going to help deliver against the mission statement is something that uh, something that I get that I get involved in. Obviously, by definition, that then means I've done all the key sponsorship deals because they were all. Backed by some of the exposure that we're going to get from the documentary, which again is why it's been previously described as the club's biggest commercial asset, because it is. Um, in terms of the physical state of the stadium, so if, you know attendances is a match day experience which floor which floor looks after in, in particular. But then we look at improving the stadium. So you know I oversaw the Rex Rent improvements and you know getting a contract together in a, in, in a stupidly short period of time you know which we failed at the end of the day to get it open for the first game of the season we failed because we set ourselves potentially an unrealistic target to start with but we wanted to try and get it open for that first game first game of the season you know fortunately, you know Jovo going off and an away game meant we, it was only one game we've played without the Rex Friend Stand up, and where it could have where it could have been two, so you know we had a little bit of lady luck on our side at that at that time, and obviously the cop redevelopment in training grounds and all those things that we've talked about in the mission statement, you know, are ones that ones that I look ones that I look at, and you know that's what I'm doing, and you know I hope that goes some way towards. You know, answering the question as to what I'm doing and why. I mean, I am I am absolutely fascinated at times by, you know, the the views that you know fans will have about what I'm doing and why I'm doing it and why am I really here? And you know, there seems to be a number of different people asking 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 those sort of questions. But my motives for being here are clear. I want to help Robin Ryan deliver against their mission statement. And you know, if anybody's got concerns about that, then well, if we're not delivering against the mission statement, which I've said is the, is the job that I'm primarily here to do, well, you know generally if you're, you think the club's going in the right direction at the moment, then maybe I'm not the one that should be feared
1: Well, let's move on to football, uh, the actual game itself, um because Hones asked, obviously, you say the philosophy of the club is laid out in the mission statement. But he says, what's the footballing philosophy going forwards? Um, what are we aiming to become? Which I think is a really interesting question. Because when I think of football philosophies, I sort of feel that like outside Barcelona until five years ago, no other club seemed to have one. Um, is, is, is there a, an idea of what sort of football we play or club on the pitch, or is that something that fans have in there?
2: I, I'm, I, I'm smiling, because ultimately... You know our football philosophy is really, really simple. We want to get promoted to the EFL, <laughs> and you know we we have a philosophy in so much as we are trying to build for the future. But we're never going to successfully be able to build for the future until we get promoted mm-hmm. from from this league to to the EFL. We can start putting things in place, but you know, for example, you know the academy. Ultimately, you don't get any protection for the young players that are in there outside being in the EFL mm. so we can have the best philosophy in the world but it doesn't work until we get promoted so you know we, we've got some short-term and long-term objectives the short-term objective is to get promoted the longer-term objective is to, is to is to get there and grow and you know to do that we need to win as many games as possible so our football philosophy at this moment in time is really clear. Let's try and win as many games as possible over a shorter period of time and get promoted. And if we can happen to do that, playing attractive, flowing football, all the better. But you know, having been a maiden head, you know, and seen us get beat 3-2, having played decent football, I'm in the school of uh, from time to time you have to accept that the performance might have been a little bit ropey, but we won, so let's just move on to next happening
1: It's, it's been a bit of a fascination with rexham fans since we went down Smash non-league and I find it slightly strange in a way that people seem to become convinced that you have to have non-league players in or you have to have football league players in or you have to have young players when it seems to me a mix is more the logical move and W. Sam is saying what's the reason behind our recruitment of only football league players are we not in the market for players in our own league? Well, i think Jake Hyde might be an exception to that but you know... To, it's just the right players, isn't really
2: it? Really, it, 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 it is. It is the right players, and it's the right players for the particular time and the particular, uh, you know, the particular set of circumstances. You know, the right group of players are the ones that get you promoted. And there's no, there's no piece of, you know, there's no tick box exercise with this that says if you if you do this, then you will get promoted because not everybody can get promoted. So. You know we've signed players that we believe would give us the best chance of getting promoted and when I talk about that value equation, every player's got to represent value for the club. That's where this question really is will that player help this club get give us a better chance of getting promoted and you know that's the main test. And then the bonus point on top of that is, and do we believe they could aspire aspire in value so they've either got a resale value or could play for the club at a higher level? So, you know, if you can sign them all that tick both those two boxes, that's even better. But, you know, we're realistic. We're signing players at the moment who we believe could play at least in one division higher and some of them could actually play potentially two divisions higher. Now, if we can find a player who's currently playing in non-league and even at a level below where we are at this moment in time, who can take that value equation and provide value for the squad, then we'll sign them. But we have to be careful that we don't get too pure or too idealistic and, you know, about philosophies. We've got a short term project which is to get this club promoted as quickly as is humanly possible. And if we feel that's best served by signing players who have got EFL experience the likes of Paul Mullen, the likes of Aaron and the likes of Bentoza, then that's the approach that we're going to take. It isn't prejudice against anybody else. It's that we feel that is the best way of achieving an objective, And that's really clear. that That's where Les comes into this, because ultimately Les is creating that football strategy for the club. So whilst I'm... I don't want anybody to go away from this podcast thinking, you know, he doesn't care about the future. He does care about the future. But the future needs to be built on a stronger base than where we are at this moment in time and in, and in, and in the AFL. So I do care passionately about the future and Leslie's starting to build out what that could look like. But we'll only ever get the benefit of that in, in years and seasons to come. But the work needs to start now to help the club in the long term. You know, and we've done that away from the football pitch as well. And we're going to talk about off the field off the field stuff. So we won't dwell on it now. But you know, we're putting things in place that will serve this club in the long term, even though it creates a bit of indigestion in the you know, in, in the short term. So so that's what so Les is creating this strategy. And also Les is a check and balance. It's a check and balance for Phil in terms of the value question of players coming in. But let's illusions. Phil has the final say, without any without any doubt, and you know every player that's come to this club is a player that Phil has, want, has wanted to sign. So, you know that's how that bit of the relationship works. And equally, when we're you know, trying to decide that value question, you know we're in a position. Do we think it represents value? It's not just a one person decision anymore because we have a board, but the board's remote remote away from the club. So we have to make sure that. Everything that we do would it passes that test. And that's a test that Robin and Ryan are really comfortable in adopting. And Touchwood. You know, we sat here after two sat after 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 our first consecutive wins. And for those that were doubting it, this podcast I agreed to this appearance before we won those two games. <laughs> so I have not taken the I've not taken the easy option so sh- the yeah. easy option after eleven <laughs> after eleven goals and six points. You know, but, you know, that's what we're doing because that's, we that's what we need to achieve. Absolutely. The, um, I always
1: think when you say about philosophy, my favourite answer to that was uh, Lewis Aragoness, the old Spain manager, when he was in charge of Atletico, asked, what's your philosophy? And he said, win and win and win and win just said win about 20 times, Yeah, the yeah you that's don't, the bottom line. You don't
2: tend to go too far, wrong if you keep winning. Yeah, exactly. You know, exactly. Everybody Everybody seems a lot more patient. Yeah. Everybody seems a lot more understanding <laughs> and uh, you know, it makes everybody go to work happier on a Monday morning. No question. But, um, but unfortunately, there's another, there's another 22 teams in our division with exactly the same objective.
1: <laughs> well, speaking about recruitment as well, Carl is asking, are there players lined up for January? Signings on January the 1st are crucial as opposed to January the 31st. Because there's a
2: potential difference of five games throughout that month. Right. So So this transfer window is different to the last one. So what, what have, we, what have we done? we've done?'ve Phil and his scouts and team and everybody else at this moment in time are identifying the targets that we're going to look to try and sign. We're hoping that work will be completed by the end of November. So we've effectively got a month to try and to try and move forward with the players that we want to sign, and ideally you would have every player signed on the first of January. The reality is that's not going to happen, and that's not not going to happen because we've not got we've not done the work. But there's players that may not be available on January the first that become available on January the thirtieth. So we're going to go back to my value conundrum again. If, a play, if we think of signing player A on the 1st of January is better value than player B, potentially on the 30th of January, then we'll sign player A. If we think we can do better than player A on the 1st of January, then we're going to wait. Mm. Because we're going to make the decisions that are right for the club in the long term whilst keeping a very sharp eye on the short-term objective. But if we know who, we want, who we're likely to want to sign, the chances are those players should be already known as being available in January. So I would expect to see more signings at the front end of January rather than the back end of January. But ultimately, you know, every other club that has a player that we're interested in is entitled to play hardball and keep hold of that player. And we're not going to overpay for them. So at some stage we might have to move from target A, preference one, two, three, and four. It's really difficult to predict, but I think you know to the to the to whoever asked the question, the point is we will be ready to go on the first. We'll be ready to go on the first of January, and if we can achieve a full house on the second of January, then we'll do that. The reality is it will take longer.
1: I suppose that the fast situation where we have a window and no one else in our league does um, sort of leads to. Complicated dynamics in a way, with like you said, that sort of the the process through January, where you've got football league teams who might be fully aware they'll probably end up selling this guy, but they can try and play hardball up to the deadline, and then non-league teams who don't have that deadline
2: and will know that they don't have to. It's. I mean, it's got to be wrong that we that 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 any one club Mm -hmm. is subject to a different set of rules. The, the others, I mean, where the integrity of competition argument goes on that particular matter is is, is relatively easy. But there is an answer, you know, and as, and as a former CEO of the EFL, having given this answer, sat in a different role in a different chair, I mean, there's an easy way for Wrexham not to have to comply with transfer windows. It's really easy. And that's playing the League of Wales, which is Wales' competition. Now, I'm not suggesting for one moment that is what Wrexham should do. But we are a Welsh club playing in an English competition and having to deal with cross-border transfers. Don't, I don't think cross-border transfers were ever meant to deal with transactions between Welsh clubs and English clubs playing in the same competition, but the, but they are. So, it is what it is. Is it, is it fair? No. Is it going to change? No. So if it's not going to change, what is the point in concerning themselves too much about it? Now, it is galling when other clubs can bring players in at will. But fortunately, because of Robin Ryan's financial backing, we were able to build a squad that is able to cope with the blows and dropping players not being available because of injury, so we've counteracted the negative of not being able to sign them and created it to a positive that we've got a fixed group of players now that are all being used to get used to playing together and I think what we 're beginning to see at the moment is that as other clubs are having to make changes and the depth of their squads are tested because we've had our squad together for the full period, then hopefully we're going to, we're going to see the benefit of it. And, and only having January to target players in, well, that's, hopefully that same principle will apply, that we're in a position where we can get a squad together, back that squad, and that squad as a collective can try and get, to try and get its promotion. So it is wrong. It is annoying that we haven't got that flexibility. But actually, I think if we had that flexibility, we probably wouldn't have built the same size squad as we've got now. Well, we wouldn't have built the same size squad. And that might mean when, for example, Cameron Green comes in for his first games. Well, Cameron Green's been training with his same set of players since, since pre-season. You know, Dan Jarvis has come in in recent games and, 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 and the others. Then they're used to what's expected from them. Whereas if you were a player that's just jettisoned in on loan from an EFL club, how do you start that? How would you start that? So, so I think we've got to look at it as a, as, as a positives while you know, moaning and groaning about it a little bit. The fact is, it isn't going to change, so we're going to get on with it.
1: Just going back as well, while we're on the subject of recruitment, the, the last thing to mention is just going back to last season as well. Um, Paul asking that last season stated the manager would be back to the January transfer window. Lack of signing suggests he wasn't. Why was that?
2: I, 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 I don't, is it a trick question? And, 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 and the reason I say is it a trick question, of course, is the takeover went through on the 7th of February. That's after the transfer window shut. So I don't know how the new board would have been able to back the manager in the January transfer window. Certainly had the takeover gone through when the transfer window was open, I would, ex- would have expected to sign more players than, than we did. So... I'm struggling a little bit with that one. Safe to say, notwithstanding all that, Robin Ryan agreed to fund the, uh, the signings of D.R. Angus and Tyler French, which indeed, which indeed they did, and committed to making those signings when the transfer window was open in the belief that they would eventually own the club. But in the event that they hadn't owned the club, they agreed to underwrite the costs of, those, of the of the players contracts through to, through to the end of the season. So, actually, Robin Ryan went further than could reasonably have been expected to, to make that to make that happen. So, yeah, uh, the manager wasn't backed in January. Um, but he wasn't backed because he wasn't able to be backed, rather than by any change any change of position.
1: And he also asks that you know, well, he suggests the players were told in the season last year to get deals, but but then didn't, and were released. Well, I think there is, like, yeah. There, I
2: mean, there's an element. There's an element of truth in, in in the fact that Dean Gates, when the takeover was first muted, was asked the question. And I know this happened as a fact because I asked him the question. You know, which of the current players would you like to retain, or do you think would give value to the club to retain? And some of those, you know, there were players. Who's parting? It was three that was spoken about at the time, and then as the take as we get the January window shut, and you can you know you can see where we are in the where where we are in the league, the decision the decision was made to effectively wait till the end of the season to to offer anybody the renewal of a, of a contract, so we knew where we knew where we were, you know. It wasn't all one way street, but I would say because obviously we entered into the new bonus sheet with the players at the same time. So even the existing players were getting, you know, we're actually receiving money based on the, the victories rather than just the contracts that they signed. So yes, there was. Dean did speak to players about potentially renewing contracts, and the club decided not to go forward with those with those discussions. But you know. There was never a there was never a deal that was agreed with any player that was uh, rescinded or gone back on, and that's just not that's just not true that's just not true. I mean, you know, when we released the players at the end of the season, you know, each was told whether they were going to be kept or not kept personally. You know, it wasn't there was no announcement on social media. It was it was done it was done in a way to make sure that they knew what the club's position was. Were. They weren't all happy. And they didn't all necessarily agree you know and I had to you know, explain to a few you know how the club had made the decision but of course Dean had gone at that stage so it was the club making the decision and it was part of the transition process from the club under the WST's ownership which I've got nothing but praise for to the club with a completely different set of objectives no longer just looking to survive and protect the club you know for the community from which it takes its name but actually, to try and make good on the mission statement and get the club promoted,
1: do you think we ever had a chance last year of getting promoted? I must admit, I was sort of sold on it. I thought we were building a bit of momentum.
2: We, we I think, I think to, to be honest, when you when you look at it, we, you know, we went on that run, we went on the run of games. Like, you know, it was like every week we were still alive. Mm. You know, and every week we were still alive. I mean, fairness, we were alive, we, right till the last game of the season, mm. and it, and it was only when the final whistle blew that we were no longer alive. So. So you know they did. I thought that the players did really well towards the back end of the season. I mean, I struggled with it. Be I struggled with football without crowds. Mm. It did. It did look. It did look a bit sterile. It did look a bit false. And you know, you've got the game against Kings Lynn here. That, if I remember rightly, was five three. That was like the. It was like a pre-season friendly with everything riding on it. You know, in terms of the way the way it was the way it was played out. So I think it was always it was always going to be a difficult ask from where from where we were I think the players gave it the best opportunity and I actually think that the takeover gave gave Wrexham a boost when other clubs were struggling for with an for an identity particularly not when they were playing at their home stadiums without any fans so I actually think I actually think it gave us a boost at that stage and did I think we had a chance I thought we had a chance we would never go we were always going to have to do it the hard way yeah. But, you know there was always that possibility and we just fell short
1: yeah. Well you say about the sterile environments, um, fans are in now let's talk about the cop because let's yeah. be honest that's uh, getting the cop back is going to be a, a big big step forwards Tim Lewis has asked this question, he's put it better than I possibly can, when he says the cop stand makes his glorious comeback yeah, glorious comeback, spot on can it be named after a club icon he asks well, I'm too modest to suggest who that should think um, but let's just look at the comp first and the nature of it, yeah. and what's been done, and then maybe address those sort of more emotional ideas about it. But wonderful to it back.
2: Yeah, well, I hope so. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's there's nothing certain yet. Yeah. But where going back going back to the mission statement, and I, you know, I, I'm going to sound like a broken record, but the the bottom line of it all was that you know a redeveloped and improved stadium must imp- must include going to a four-sided ground with the COP brought back into use. And, you know, the improvements have been made to the Rex Rent stand. You yeah, know, improvements have been made to Mould Road and and the Rex and Lager stand. The bottom line, of course, is they are not as significant as the Rex Rent stand. So, yes, we all want to see the COP back in, in, in back in use. Um, you know, Rob and Ryan have committed to make a significant financial contribution towards... Making that happen, you know, it will need an element of public-private funding. Um, There's no, there's nothing wrong with that that approach. It's one that's adopted up and down the the towns and cities in the UK, and we're just at the start of the process. So we have done some. There's been some additional design work done, you know, feasibility work, but the questionnaire that we've put, the survey that we've put out, is is two. It's probably two or threefold um the first one is about the club owning the freehold and you know the wst were wanting to make sure that football stayed at played at the racecourse ground for years to come and, and that's a, that's a principle that Robin and ryan fully support now we there's got to be a legal way a legal way of doing that and that's why the first question was in two parts are you happy with the, with the club owning the freehold? And then are you with the club owner the freehold and give you some legal protections? Because the legal protections actually potentially fetter ability going forward. Mm-hmm. But the balance of that is it provides the protection. And, you know, Rob and Ryan have got absolutely no, no concerns with committing Wrexham. To, to the race course ground, as long as the race course ground can continue to support our ambitions going forward. Now, that's a positive, not a negative, because you know, if we get to a position where we are doing so well on the pitch that we need to move, then that's, that's for the right reasons rather than, you know should we say, the, the previous examples of you know, redevelopment housing and everything else that's gone before it, which is what the WST were absolutely keen to protect against. And I don't see that changing. How that's documented and achieved it's probably a little bit more complex, but the principles are them to play, for play at the race course ground for time going forward. I've got to ask a question, I may be very naive,
1: but my experiences from our two near-death experiences where we were going to get shoved out of here, um, was that people seem to feel that no matter what legal protection you might have there's always some silver tongue character who will be able to find a sort of way around it somehow um, would you say it is possible to have cast iron copper bottoms? Yeah, I think th- there's ways. Or?
2: There's ways. There's ways of. Do- there's mm. there's a, any number of different ways of doing it. And, and and you know this isn't a glass half full and a glass half empty you know, scenario it's, it's about ninety five percent full or ninety five percent empty or five percent full. Sorry, you know, because anybody can always find an issue with anything if they're going to look if they're going to look hard enough. And actually, if that's your starting point, then actually you should be saying, under no circumstances do you want the club to own the field. But that's not progressive in terms of an approach. You know, if you're going to think the worst of everybody at all the times, then, you know, there's no, no amount of comfort is ever going to give you comfort unless you actually own it yourself. And what's to say that? You know your successors are going to change that position. So I think we have to have a we have we have to have an element of realism in in this. You know agreements only ever last so long. If they don't have an end date, they're actually unenforceable in law in any event. So I'm comfortable that we will find a way forward that would satisfy any reasonably minded individual. Excellent. The um.
1: The other question, one of the other questions on there, of
2: course, is about the nature of the
1: stands, uh, whether to have safe standing, just standing, seating. I mean, in the past, you've spoken about safe standing as well in your role at the EFL as well. It seems like a bit of a no-brainer to jump onto the technology rather than build it in later.
2: I mean, this is an interesting point because, you know, we're asking the question because, ultimately, you would be naive to build... Or create some accommodation that the majority of fans weren't going to be comfortable to use. So, so there's some there's some real, there's actually actually business ele- element behind this. But actually, you know, I think the issue is to stand or to sit. Do you want a choice? That that's the starting point of this. Or do you think that everybody should be made to sit? Now, doesn't that's not your own personal preference? Mm. Is what what do you think? What do you think that position is? So, so effectively, that's the question. Do you want to stand? Do you think it should be all seater, or do you want to stand? And then obviously the subdivision of the question is, if you're deciding you would like options to stand, do you then want the opportunity for that to become seating for the purpose of being able to host international games? Or generally? Yeah. Because, you know, I've got some news for you. If, if you think everybody on that COP will stand, if that's the way the vote goes, whether it's all terracing or standing. So if you think you're going to go on to there and be able to sit and watch a Wrexham game, then do not buy a ticket in the COP. Because you will not be able to see the football. So, if we go for safe standing, that means you are standing up to watch Wrexham, unless you're in the the seated area that we've, we f- we feel needs to go needs to go in there to, to you know to to meet the requirements of a the club and be be the fan bit, the fan base. Now, what it does so the, diff- the only difference between the two, apart from one being a lot more expensive than the other, is that. You Know for international games, it can become a, seat, a seated area, so effectively, you could have a 16,000-seater stadium for the purpose of international football games. Or, dare I say it, should the club ever qualify for European competitions, for those as well. Mm-hmm.
1: The um, I mean, you're saying about the expense of doing different things as well with the COP. The I've seen quite a bit about teams having to adapt their seated areas now to. Safe seating areas and the expense of that, but surely it's, if you're an early adopter and you build a stand on that basis, you, you're getting it cheaper than having to convert anyway. Yeah, it'd
0: be cheaper
2: than conversion, mm. but it depends on whether you can afford it in the first place. Yeah, fair you probably. know, there's no, you know, there's, there's no, it, it'd, be cheaper to, it'd be cheaper to spend more money than you've got at the start. Discuss, you know, you know, Rob and Ryan have, have promised to make a significant contribution to this. That doesn't build the stand. Mm. You know, so the reason the reason that we're going to this length of consultation is here to understand what our fans would like, and then to be able to utilise that in the conversations that we've got to have with funding partners.
1: Mm. There's talk about you know what the renewed capacity would be, or the capacity of that stand would be. I assume there's a differential depending on if we have standing or the
2: season. Well, we, we we done it. We did it the other way around, Mark, because it was easier than than potentially polluting the question because. So what we've said is we are going to work on a 5,500 capacity regardless of whether it's terracing, safe standing or seating. All that means is that the actual size of the stand changes. So what we've not done is affect the capacity by the question. Because because what we didn't want to do was have anybody thinking about anything other than the question that was being asked of them. So we're talking about a 5,500 capacity stand takes the overall capacity at the stadium to six, to a circuit sixteen thousand and with the size it's the size of the stand that changes rather than the capacity we might not end up in that position you know we might end up in a position where we don't get to five and a half thousand we don't know yet but to ask the question on a comparable basis so it was fair then we are working on five and a half thousand and it's the size of the stand that changes and believe it or not the safe standing question takes up more space than either the seating or the terracing option so and that's just by nature of it, of it, of how, it how it needs to be laid out and you know see values for on film and viewing slope and everything else
1: yeah as somebody who has experienced the safe standing in Dortmund um, I, I certainly know that the atmosphere is great <laughs> you know it really works on that attitude and and I've got to say, as well, as somebody who lived in Liverpool when Hillsborough happened and was on the copper anfields that season and experiencing, you know, sort of pressures there. Yeah, for me, uh, I don't know what I think about it, to be
2: honest <laughs> but, with you. But Matt, listen, I, I mean, I, I have an issue with the word safe because terracing yeah. is safe. OK, you know, if we developed an, old terrace, an, an an area of complete terracing, it is designed to safe, stand, it's mm-hmm. safe, safe standards. Otherwise, you wouldn't be allowed to use it. So when people say safe standing, any standing is safe if it's designed to the modern to the modern guidelines. So terracing is safe, seating is safe, and rail seating, which is which is which has always been classed as safe standing, is also safe. So the different approaches, but nobody needs to be under any illusions. These are all safe solutions. It's just. An unfortunate terminology that was picked up by the media right at the outset because it was felt it was an easier segue from terracing to seating to say a safe standing but you know terracing is used in league one and league two at this moment in time and it's safe so let you know it's a, it's a misnomer that ultimately one is safer than the other because they are all safe fair comment, it's, it's how things are used and also how things are organised
1: when they're in there which makes absolutely as, as Hillsborough tragedy is a, a clear example of I've got to go back to Tim's question you know, saying about naming the stand after a club icon um or maybe the Brestford Disaster Memorial stand having nice to have it named after something or someone the fans are passionate about I always I always um, struggle with this I really don't know what my opinion is in terms of naming something after something which people are passionate
2: about against the fact that you could have naming rights and bring money in to give people new things to be passionate about. <laughs> and, and and that's the and that's the question you know, what is what is the commercial what is the what is the commercial reality and does that make make it good value good value for the club? I'm not going to sit here and make a commitment today on what the stand is going to be called, or who it's going to be named after, or whether it's going to have a commercial sponsor, because that's a decision that will need to be taken at the appropriate at the appropriate time. It's fair to not to say and acknowledge that we do understand that there may be a desire for it not to have a commercial partner, and that does have merits. But the question is, at what cost? And. You know, that's where these things always come down to. What is the value? So rather than making a clear statement, we are going to sell it or we're not going to sell it, the answer is the club will make the decision at the appropriate time, in full knowledge of all the facts, in the best interest of the club.
1: Well, moving on from the car, but also to potential building projects. project, of 78, asking when can we expect an announcement on a new training ground?
2: Yeah, so, training grounds we've identified two sites in the in the city so far this has not fallen down the list of importance but it has not it's not had the priority of trying to deal with the cop or indeed the rent stand development so it's the short answer is i i don't know that we're going to be in a position in quarter one of next year so that's to march to be able to make a full announcement. But I would imagine before the end of this season we will have a clearer idea that we would be able to share with everybody about what we hope to achieve. I'm confident that there are options at work. And yes, they're all in Wales, none of them are in England. And, you know, we've 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 had a look at a couple of sites. Two very different, two very different sites, and a lot of it's going to come down to not ambition of the club because we're because we're ambition is actually managing that ambition without utilising all your assets and resources in one place, because you know having the best training ground in the national league isn't something that excites me. Mm. Having a training ground that's fit for our use in the EFL because we're in the EFL. Is a lot more interesting, even if the trading ground isn't as good. So again it's a balance, but you know, to answer the direct question, I I would hope by certainly by the end of this season, we're in a position where we we at least know what it is we are going to do, even if we haven't started doing it at that particular time.
1: Well when we're finished and then I have to find out if you're looking at the field behind my house. I'm okay with that, but why can it not be? Well, <laughs>
2: They they will always be. Uh we think it's a great idea as long as it's not within a mile of our house. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and you know, when we look at the redevelopment of you know, of the race course ground without without, without 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 being generic rather than specific, you know, there are any number of people who think it's a great idea as long as you don't live on mould rod. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, they're absolutely delighted, you know, people are absolutely delighted that the club is getting bigger attendances and on, on a match day, apart from the fact they can't get in and out of the house anymore on a Saturday afternoon. You know, we, we, are go, we are going through, I think they call it growing pains, you know. We, as a club, we're going through growing pains, but equally I think the community and the immediate community the Racecourse Ground are also going through those same challenges. And I've got a lot of sympathy with them. I mean, you know, we can run the argument the football ground's been here a lot longer than they've been living here. But, you know, you know, things have changed this season. These things have changed significantly. You know, and how we interact with that local community is as important as how we interact with other communities. And, you know, things things take time. Yeah. And and you know, they are changing they are changing gradually. And you know, that's where Flo and Humphrey in particular come, come in because you know we asked i only half answered when you need questions earlier and it wasn't del- it wasn't deliberate but you say you know how does my role differ from differ from Fleur's? well you know if i'm looking after the business elements of the club as you've as you've heard you know the coordination of policies and activities that meet that meet the you know mission statement Me, I mean Fleur has an unenviable task of running the club on a day-to-day basis and dealing with everything that everything that comes, comes forward you know and you know there's an emphasis on you know the match day experience because that's where most fans touch point with the club is other than you know following you know podcasts club communication channels trying to glean you know what what what's what's going on and obviously that local relationship with the community you know so you know that's what you know, that's where Fleur's roles is is diff- is different to mine and to be honest i draw, you know she, it's an enviable task when you're going through the period of growth that we are. You know, and Unfree is obviously the primary, as you've heard, is the primary contact with Robin Ryan. And he's always going to be more engaged with that involvement with the community. You know, what we're trying to do, how we're portraying how we're ourselves. You know, and that includes liaisons with, you know, with the fan groups. You know, have all got interest in the club. So we've all got different, you know, you've had the four descriptions of what the four of us are actually doing now. You know, so they're all complementary. None of them are contradictory. You know, and and, you know, looking back, probably it's not been explained as clearly as that before, and maybe that will help settle fans down to who's responsible for what. But you know, firing questions to Fleur on Twitter in relation to the club or complaints about the weekend isn't the way forward. You know, the club has some, you know, there's formal, you know, there's email addresses, there's ways to communicate with the club, and what you know, I just say, if people have got questions, stay off. You know, first Twitter account and Humphrey's Twitter account and Robin Ryan's Twitter account communicate. Go to the club because the club are exactly the same people, and you are going to, but you and you are more likely to get a response quickly through those channels than you are ever going to do if you if you email somebody directly. I mean, you know, I am saved from from you know from from Twitter the Twitter arty because you know I don't use social media per se. I've got a very small Instagram account which is friends friends and friends and immediate family only. You know, I use LinkedIn on the basis from a business network perspective because it's always important that you know what's going on. But that's that's my that's my involvement. And part of it is because it allows me to concentrate on the areas of businesses that I'm helping and running without getting drawn into some of the minutiae that's massively important to people so I'll never take it I'll never take that bit away from them but has a negative impact on on your ability to deal with the issues that are important and those that you those that you can control so you know I I get it I get I get it all we've gone off for a slight we've gone off at a slight tangent but I think it is really, really important. When you look at the growth that this club's going through, I call them growing pains earlier. I mean, we have got growing pains here. There is absolutely no doubt. And I'm not going to sit here and say we have got everything right because we haven't by any stretch of the imagination. I'd like to argue we've got a lot more right than we've got wrong. But if you're one of the ones that's affected by something that's not perfect yet, then I understand why you'd feel aggrieved or the club's not looking after your interests but we're trying to go forward in a strategic way in a balanced way and that means from time to time we have to deal with things together rather rather than individually so you know from my perspective on behalf of everybody at the club you know if you feel we've we've let you down anyway we've not responded to a specific request that we've not prioritized an area that's massively important to you then I get that bit and I apologise I'd ask you to consider that the club's going through a period of exponential growth probably a bigger growth than any other club in the world at this moment in time yet the fabric of the race course ground and the people within it are exactly the same other than the additional members of staff and flow and coming in so it's going to take time for the club to catch up with itself never mind you know, fan- being able to deliver you know, the sort of service that we as- that we ultimately aspire to. But that is high on the agenda. But if we don't get that base in place, we will never do it with any success.
1: Well, this leads us on, I suppose, to people asking questions yeah. about those procedural things. I mean, Mark Butler asked, um, would you accept that even at this early stage you were seeing a void of transparency over ticketing, intentions for the ground, junior dragons, merchandise, and... If not, why not?
2: So, avoid of transparency. Well, I'm sat here now, so let's let's start with that transparent. I personally write in the programme each game. And, you know, I, don't, I have no idea whether anybody reads it or not, but generally you know, we're trying to tell everybody what's going on. And I write the programme notes rather than flirt because I'm nearer to some of the policy-type issues that we want to keep fans abreast of. So you know rather than second hand you, you know people people get it get it first hand um, it also means Fleur could pick up the pieces when I upset a few uh, um, thereafter but you know I, I don't think I don't think there's a void of transparency I, I think there are certain questions that we're not answering potentially as efficiently as we could do, but that's not because we're not prepared to answer them or because there's a void of transparency as we described. It's just complete, It's just business pressures, you know. I don't know that there's a significant decision that we've taken on board that we've not either spoken with the fans with or made the fans fans aware of, you know. And I go back to that. I go back to that initial point. It was saying that if you genuinely believe we're getting the majority of things right, then you've got to roll with it for now. And there might be a little part that you're not happy about, and we we can look at the specifics with absolute pleasure, but. I'm looking for this is like an overall satisfactory rating, rather than it's breaking it down into breaking it down into individual sections because some of them we know exist but we've not even had chance. Chance to address, so I'm going to ask you. after to ask you to help me now, Mark. Having <laughs> having spoken for the last two minutes, give me the list. Give me the list of the things where we, there's an allegation or suggestion that there's a void of transparency. Let's see if we can deal with them one by one.
1: Well, issues is just in general, or issues where there's communication. Okay, I think
2: you, I, 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 I'll, I'll make it. I'll make it easy, so so you don't, so I don't look. <laughs> I can put you on the spot. So we talk about ticketing. Yeah, we we at the start we realised very quickly that the ticketing system that was inherited, was going to struggle to cope with what we perceived to be the increase in likely attendance. That said, I don't think even we envisaged that we'd be selling 9,200 tickets for Chesterfield on a Tuesday night. So... We, we chose to change, we went to Ticketmaster, and you know, you know, Ticketmaster are arguably probably one of the biggest ticketing companies in the world, so there's not, it wasn't a cheap option, it wasn't an unknown option. And we've not got everything right with setting it up. And there has been problems, and we need, to, we need to do more. But we keep catching ourselves out as a club, because we never really have the downtime to be able to take a step back and build a ticketing system and go and go forward. So, we will get to a position where people do not have to come and pick tickets up on a Saturday, you know, before a game, if they bought them. If they bought them online, we will get to a position where yes, you can print at home or you can use you use your phones. And and I'm hoping very early in 2022, at the latest, that will be in place. But you know, daft things like you know, Wi-Fi inside the ground. All these systems work using, you know, using you know, Wi-Fi, using internet circuits, using bandwidth. All of a sudden, you put 9,000 people into an area; that bandwidth goes. Yet, it's integral to getting people into the ground. So, we are on a slow path to a, an ultimate, to the ultimate position that we want to be there. And you know, and I've, and I've made the appeal. You know, we just hope people will be patient with us and allow us to get to that to that position because we're not we know we're not there yet and we want to make a change I mean we've put games on we've put two games at the same time on sale today which is actually not in keeping with the ticketing policy we put out at the start of the season and the part of the reason for that is that if people are going to come to both games they can buy two at the same time and pick them both up together yeah. you know so we are trying to make it easier and it's not it's not gone as well as we would have hoped but we will catch up. we will get there I and mean, eventually you know if we're successful on the pitch and things go well everybody will, everybody will look at it as a teething problem if we're not successful on the pitch we don't get it right it was a case it was never it's never it was never going to be right in the first place now we've got to get to that position and ultimately that only works if we get it right at some stage so i'm i'm definitely i'm definitely hopeful that by january 2022 The need to pick tickets up if you bought on a match-by-match basis from the ticket office will have gone.
1: We've got questions about um, Club Shop as well. Casual Culture says, why is the selection of products available on a Club Shop still limited? Uh, Mark Parry, why is the online Club Shop poor for stock often sold out in some sizes?
2: Because your buggers keep buying it all is <laughs> is, is, is is the answer. I, I mean, I'd be slightly worried if we were sat on lots and lots of stock. But you know, we go scenario, b- yeah. we go we're back talking. we go back to that we go back to that growth element again. And you know, as soon as we get we, we get the new shirts in, they're sold. You know, it takes six months to come from China because that's where that's where they're manufactured. You know, and we've got Brexit, and we've got COVID, and we've got every, and we've got everything else as well. So, in terms of match kit, it's uh, it's frustrating for all of us. You know, there will be new, there will be replacement home and away kits in for the uh, before Christmas. It might be tight before Christmas because if you remember, they went on sale in June or July. We knew it sold out with a six-month delivery time. Then we're actually breaking records to get them here for then. And, you know, as an exclusive, we can do an exclusive. I am reliably informed by somebody who should know that the the new batch of Away shirts are being flown from China this weekend. So that potentially means that they will be here and on sale within the next couple of weeks. The Home shirts are slightly behind that because they were actually done made in a different factory in China and one's got them done quicker than the others. So we are at... The hands of just getting to know the type of volumes we're going to be selling, and when you look at the number, you know we've sold over seven thousand shirts. We're a national league club. You know, clubs in the AFL don't sell that many. And the first order for this year's sh- for this season shirts was actually made whilst the WST was still in ownership of the club. That's how long this takes. And then there was a top up order made once the takeover went through. So they're the two that have been and gone. And then the top and then the top-up of the top-up order was made, and that's what we're waiting on now. Now, going forward for the for the season for the kit for 22-23, they have already been selected. They have already been designed. The orders are being made this month. And they should be they should, given a fair wind, and unless a, you know, unless we have another tanker blocking the Suez Canal or any of, any variation of a theme they on, then sh- they should be here for May and June. But that's the amount of planning that we're having to put in place now, and the reality. Now, that's just a match trip. So, trading kit... yep. So, we, keep, we have brought new lines in. The have has been sold out. So, we are getting to grips with what is now the potential of Wrexham Football Club going forward. And just remember, if we get it wrong, we either lose sales, which isn't good, or we're sat on stock that we've got to sell, which isn't good. So actually, trying to find that balance is is difficult, and there's not always a lot of slack, and there's not always a lot of give because it's not only a case of how many shirts you order; it's how many you order in what size. So you know, the, the, these are all difficult questions. There is more stock coming in of an increased range for before Christmas, and you know, I suspect until we have until the club, the new club and its fan base have cohabited together for a period of time, there will be challenges in making sure that the ordering levels are right. And you know, I don't apologise for saying we will be cautious, because what I don't want to be doing is sat on a load of stock that we can't, we can't sell, because we are a business, we do need to make money, but we don't need to make money to line the owners' pockets, we need to make money to be able to run the club to take it forward.
0: From the heart of your community, this is Callon FM.
2: Mark
1: Butler also was mentioned about the Junior Dragons and the fact that that seems dormant at the moment.
2: Yes, and you know I've seen some of the complaints and I've also heard any number of different reasons for that. You know, the club don't want to do it because they can't make any money from it, etc. Well, we don't make a lot of money out of a lot of things that we do, and certainly the Junior Dragons approach isn't that isn't for financial reasons. We set the new membership scheme up, which obviously has got seventeen thousand eight hundred members. And you know, originally when when we first took over, I think the plan was well, the plan definitely was to merge. The junior dragons into the junior members. Now we didn't call junior members junior dragons at the time because we didn't want to compare the two directly. But there's there's no doubt that the benefits that used to be attributed to junior dragons are exactly the same benefits that you you'd put to any junior membership base. And we've not taken it forward as yet. And there's a, there's a number of reasons. Um, it's not what wasn't number one on the priority list and you heard me saying earlier that people have got different priorities and i I get that one you know and yes we do need younger fans coming through for for the future and we need to we do need to we do need to address it but i think you have to reiterate we are still in covid times and this is the real crux of the current position you know we've got a race course community foundation that is still working at probably 20% of its potential and that's because they cannot go out into the community to deliver the type of programs that we've have done on a on a regu- on a regular basis so we can, we can't get big groups of kids together to meet with players you know i see the players and the players are great with it, with this you know they come across the car park you know they have a you know, selfie and sign pictures. And I wince. I don't wince because I'm the Grinch or anything of that nature. I wince because we do all we can to protect them during the week to ensure that they stay free of of COVID. And then, of course, the mix with everybody coming in, which is fine. But what is the effect of them getting COVID? Well, if it happens to be the wrong player who's in a car with four others, then we could end up losing four players for two weeks. Now, we called off the trip, the pre-season tour to Philadelphia, on the basis that the risk was too great Of you know, to the start of the season and, and, and COVID. I can't see any circumstances in which we're going to put a group of players together with a group of children at this moment in time and increase that risk because it's disproportionate to what it is that we're trying to achieve. Now, we need to do better. We need to find other ways of engaging, but it's not as simple as just lifting junior dragons into the new junior and the membership base, and actually and actually, you know, restarting it up again. Because when we start it, we want to start it against a strategy, a schedule, and it's not going to grow organically. It needs to grow strategically. But as I say, the lack of interaction that we're able to afford at this moment in time would probably be counterproductive to the the little bit of disappointment that's been shed. So, so to glue to it, junior dragons will be reappearing. Junior dragons will be reappearing bigger and stronger than it's ever been before. But unfortunately, junior dragons aren't exempt from the COVID pandemic. And we're not, it's a risk one too far. Now, when players go away from here and, you know, socialize every so often they're using environments that you know every even the majority of people got COVID tested we know that you know kids at school haven't been vac- vaccinated it, it's a it's a matter of it's a matter of fact my children fortunately are old enough that they have been they have been vaccinated but many many haven't so we do have to be careful and I know people might be listening saying cop out well it's not a cop out when we can't, when it can potentially put the one thing at risk that we're trying to protect, and that's having the players available every weekend. I know it, it might be unpalatable, and it might not be nice, but it's, it's the reality of the situation. And I generally, you know, for a whole raft of reasons, I wish COVID didn't exist. And you know, a lot of people have suffered a lot more than I ever had with it, and people have lost ones that they love. So, you know, Junior Dragons is massively important. It will be important and it will come back bigger and better but it can't come back just yet in that format until we know that having, having the interaction between players and the younger fans isn't going to put games and players at risk of not being able to play. I'm Liam McClendon
0: and this is Dragon Heart.
1: Well, I'm um... I'm not going to bother with the catering questions because a lot of them are about queues for catering. So, sorry to John and to Mark. I can sort... I, listen, oh, we, we could,
2: no, we can sort queues <laughs> out really easy at kiosks. we just half the attendance. That was kind of my assumption. Because, you know, you can't... We can't... You know, we've we spent £800,000 on improving the Rex Rank concourse. One, the one thing we couldn't do was make it any wider or any bigger. We used every inch of space that we could find. So you know, growing pains, you know, it could be the title, but, you know, but ultimately, you know, we need to be more efficient, we need to be served, we serve better, but, you know, if you go to any stadium in this country, they tell you that they, there's a maximum threshold as to how much money you can take through chaos and how many people you can serve. You physically cannot serve any more people inside a short period of time. So, it is frustrating. It's frustrating for us as well, but it is one of the perils that comes from, but, you know our takings at the kiosks have have gone up. We suggest we're serving more people. Mm. Now we're serving more people, but proportionately we've got a lot more people coming in as well, which means they can't get served. So, you know, it's a it's a it's a balance. And you know, same goes for program sales. You mm. uh, know, you know, programs program sellers, which we we send programs, you know, to all different corners of the ground. Some sell out before others. Some say you can't get them, and of course you can't go from the Macron stand to the and Lager stand if you're a supporter. You're in that stand. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there might be programmes available in one stand at 10 to 3, but not in the other. You know, and we haven't found a way of magic in <laughs> from one side to the other yet.
1: Jeff Lang is a regular listener to the commentaries. He has a very simple demand. Sort out and player.
2: Sort out and player. <laughs> well, I think and player, player is definitely work in progress. And... There's, there's a number. There's a number of views as to as to what we can do. Um, part of the challenges with Wrexham player aren't, aren't the player itself. Uh, what we are trying to do is operate at, at a level that would be consistent with being an EFL club in the National League. So, for example, and we're not going to talk about Kings specifically, but you know, we go to Barnet and there's no ISDN the end lines for us to be able to use, which means commentary quality is not as great. We don't get first choice on camera positions. We end up with second choice behind an analyst. And, you know, clubs generally look after themselves first. I get that bit. But there's no requirement then for that to be extended to the visiting club unless you've got it so unsurprisingly when we go to places like rimsby and notts county and stockport who have got bigger facilities from their days in the efl these problems aren't, aren't as great and you know we decided to we decided that it was always going to, it was going to be free all season because we knew we recognized really early that we were going to have some challenges now it's bad enough having challenges and having to apologize for them it's a lot harder to have challenges, apologize for them, and actually charge people for it as well. Mm. You know, so we are in this position where it will get a lot better. You know, our demands on other clubs now are getting bigger and bigger and bigger because it's not just the f- footage for Rex and Player, it's the documentary that's being filmed. So we are we are not always the most welcome visitor to a to a to a visit club stadium. That said, it does need to improve. It does need it does need to be better and it will be. But it gets into that same that same category of there will always be issues, but if we get better week on week, then generally we'll be fine.
1: And I can also add from my perspective of being at the end of the commentary line that um, the issues we've had with Rex and Blair bedding in haven't been within the club as such. And we did test a lot of stuff out on Saturday. And those issues were totally resolved, so I'm genuinely confident that going forward. we've got contingency plans for things that do go wrong, um, and we were sort of you know, we were dealing with issues that hadn't been generated here anyway. so sort of.
2: it, it's really easy to point to one thing that's not right or, or wrong. I mean, the one thing I, I did, we did take on board as soon as we came into the club was, you've got to change the website. It's rubbish. The retail shop doesn't work, it's rubbish. And, you know, the system that we were using for broadcasting games worked sometimes. But remember that last this time last year, of course, there was no fans inside grounds. So, you know, the club had done a deal with a commercial player, player which worked really, really well. But that was because there was a commercial value by making the games available because you could do that. There's no commercial there's no commercial venture now because there's no subscription there's no subscription revenue. So it's a completely different it's a completely different way around. And you know cl- visiting clubs do not make it easy sometimes. <laughs> oh believe me, I've seen
1: that first hand plenty of times.
2: But but I- but that, that ultimately is for us to get over. Yeah. And and actually, you know, one of the challenges to the one of the challenges to the National League is to recognise that clubs in the National League now. Are wanting to take themselves forward, and that's not just Wrexham. I mean, you know, Notts County. I mean, I mentioned it in my program notes for for Saturday. You know, I think you know, Notts County getting twelve thousand plus fans, I think is brilliant. Yeah. But you know, the, the, the real the real challenge to the to the executive for the National League is how are you going to capitalise on this to to benefit all twenty three clubs, or even all you know, all sixty plus that's in that's in the three divisions, because they need to grasp this opportunity. Because if they don't grasp this opportunity, the league itself will never grow. There'll always be clubs in the league that's bigger than the others, and that's what. And if, so, if they don't improve the facilities that are at grounds for clubs to be able to use, then they're never going to get the full benefit. They're never going to get the full benefit, and they're actually going to restrict clubs' growth. And that can't be what they're about.
1: But I've got to be frank as well. The phrase that always comes to my mind, I keep you overusing it. When talking about the National League is it's kind of cowboy country in a lot of ways and uh, for example it, it's not just a lack of facilities it's the fact that some clubs can just say no to things that you would have thought would be codified and, and everyone automatically has access to naming no names and there's more than one there's more than just the odd one here or there and um, I'm just thinking from your perspective at the AFL, it must been a shock to come to this level and find that clubs can essentially just Say no to certain well things you think it'd be automatic.
2: it is and, and and that's when you look to the national League for uh, for leadership in relation to making sure that these facilities are made available now if they don't exist, they can't be made available. The question is should they exist you know and you know listen, we could have a complete other podcast, another, another, <laughs> another podcast on the lack of the lack of commer- the commerciality and the options that are there, but the reality the reality is that the league has to be better. It has to allow clubs to grow. Because if it doesn't allow clubs to grow, then how is the league ever going to get any better? You know, and the campaign for it to become part of the EFL or separate will just grow and grow and grow. And you know, votes are no confidence, which I mean I, I don't support our way for our way forward. But those sort of things happen when clubs aren't getting the service that they believe they are due. And you know, if they don't address the issues, that's what it that's what it'll do because you know, the income that we can make eventually from Rex and Player or our commercial rights is dwarfed by our tendencies. But it's equally as important towards meeting our wage bill. So if we're not going to be allowed to do that, then that's when that's when people rebel. Mm. Yeah. yeah. quite. Well, John, I think
1: it's probably getting towards a time where I should let you get on with the rest of your life. I've, I've <laughs> taken up enough of your time already. But um, I guess the, the, the key message in a way to, to put out to people is that we're all pulling in the same direction. And, you know, there, there may be small details that go wrong and have to be sorted as time goes on. But ultimately, the big picture is how the team doing on the pitch. Can we push forwards? Can we achieve what we want this club to achieve? Also, yeah. in terms
2: of how it helps the community,
1: that's something to bear in mind. Yeah,
2: I, I, you're right. I mean, if we've achieved anything in this in this in this, in this, in this sort of podcast, I'd like it to. I'd like the, the following as the headlines: a reminder of what we're actually trying to achieve. You know, which is the goal of getting the club promoted, which is the most important. Getting the club promoted, increased attendances. Well, you know, I think you know our school report at the moment would probably say A plus on that one mm. um, you know the fact that there might not be 9,500 here on Saturday there might only be 8,000 plus you know you need a dose of reality if you don't ultimately think that's that's success and progress improved stadium we do it, we're doing that and we are making a positive difference I think everybody's seen that in Wrexham now the fact is we need to go further and do and do and do better so you know that reminder you know to be patient with us, we are not portraying ourselves as being perfect. we are not portraying ourselves as being you know you know the finished article. We are saying we are a work in progress, but what we're saying is that work in progress has already come a massive way, and we will get to the end of it and deliver the service that everybody wants it do, it It does take time. I suppose this bit will make Humphrey laugh. And you know, and I, I hope if we have uh, if we managed to clear one thing up that is the motives of me being here and that, I, that I'm not I'm not some devil-like figure that uh, everybody should be concerned about particularly at Christmas.
1: Well, of all times of the year quite right absolutely. Absolutely. Brilliant. Well, Sean. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm massively it, Thank you.
2: Absolute pleasure. Thank you.
0: I'm Aaron Hayden and this is Dragon Hearts. Well, the COP consultation was released the other day. Um, Very, very important survey, really, wasn't it, Mark?
1: Oh, massive to the future of the club. We need the COP redeveloped, obviously. We've had it three-sided ground for far too long. And, yeah, it'll just be wonderful to get that fourth side going. And, of course, we have decisions to make on exactly what form that stand will take. And that will have repercussions on whether this becomes an international stadium again for competitive games. But the big issue, perhaps, of it and the big surprise was the fact that the club, because we're going to be putting money in into this as a reward, if you will, wants the freehold of the club, uh, the ground.
0: Yeah, which is big, isn't it, really? Mm, absolutely. Yeah, um, also, said quite a few different things on the survey itself. It, it asks how you get to the ground. How do you spend time in facilities in and around town before the game? Uh, how do you travel into, into the stadium? Whether you want, safe standing or whether you want standing or seat-in. So, yeah, mm. uh, a lot of things to sink into there, isn't there?
1: But those gateway... The, the whole Wrexham Gateway project, obviously, is looking to redevelop this way into Wrexham in order to improve the town commercially. So being able to show that the club brings some commercial benefit to the town... Through people coming to the game, but also spending money in town uh, is obviously important. Or spending time in town—you don't just come in, watch the match, and go straight back out again. Um, and you can see the sort of soft benefits, if you like, already. Um, one of the—I shouldn't—I shouldn't name the companies. I'm not sure or not. But one of the barbers in the middle of town has now got a huge Wrexham crest on their window. Um, there's a, a certain food establishment shall we say which leaves a car lying around town all the time which now has a wrexham crest on it Your know, livery's businesses as far as in way have any actual affiliation with the club um and then <laughs> there's a pub around the corner from me which used to, which has uh, a big wrexham sign like there was on the spoil heap in rostofland <laughs> So you know those little soft benefits. Uh, you know people suddenly want to be involved yeah. with Wrexham Football Club. All of a sudden, it's a glamorous thing. People weren't seeing it as a glamorous thing. They wanted to stick on their windows when we weren't doing so well. So clearly, there's a benefit. But it, you need hard and fast proof of that if you're going to justify being part of a a project that that's gentrified not gentrifies improves this part of town for the benefit of the town, don't
0: you? Oh yeah, hundred percent. And it does improve, and it always has improved the town isn't it for, mm. it'd be interesting to see how much revenue it actually produces in the town itself from spending pubs, bars restaurants yeah. before the game so yeah of course it's, it was really important to hear all that and another thing that really caught my eye was the, the question about the safe standing mm. which, or standing or seating, what yeah. are your thoughts on that?
1: I voted for safe standing Um, I appreciate that will make it more expensive to make build. However, I... Right, okay. I mean, if we have a standing terrace, I mean, I guess we could have a bigger capacity. But I do like the idea of Wales coming back and playing competitive games here. I don't think it'll happen a lot because Cardiff now has established its stranglehold on that. But I'd like to think that they would at least give us something occasionally. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm of an age where, you know, when I was a kid, this was Wales's home ground. Um, and I, I don't think that the South will give that up now. But we would get some games, hopefully. Um, also, if you go up in the Premier League, you're going to have to put the seats in. Yeah. I must say we're going to, but, you know, we, we are looking upwards and trying to be ambitious. Therefore... Why build a stand that become obsolete? Um, But likewise, I do like that flexibility. I, I I have a sort of, I've had a sort of difficult relationship in some ways with the the campaign to bring standing back, big terraces back, because I, I remember Hillsborough, and I find it extremely difficult to get beyond that on the argument of people standing at football matches you know I mean the cop if it was open now would be perfectly safe in a Wrexham game it always was when I was on the cop because there's not enough people to make it dangerous but I nearly broke my arm on the cop once a Wales-Czechoslovakia game and the cop was packed and people didn't know how to behave in a, in a packed cop really and the surge on me scored I got my arm trapped behind a crush barrier, but I was being pulled down by the crowd and I could feel, I could feel my, my arm sort of separating out bit. I thought, oh yeah, this is going to be a life-changing moment and I managed to slip my arm out in time. Otherwise, you know, I'd have been in real trouble. Um, and also when I was in university, I went to Liverpool and it was the well, it, it, it encompassed a season of the Hillsborough disaster, in fact, when I was there. And earlier that season, I went to a game at Anfield against Derby County. And it was frightening. Um, my dad and I went. And it was absolutely packed. It was the first season of Barnes and Beardsley and Aldridge. And Houghton. A great team. Absolutely packed. But you go in the cup in those days when it was really full. And you've essentially got y- y- your shoulder to shoulder squashed in they're constantly announcing please move along a bit because there's, there's more space in the middle than on the sides but people aren't really doing it or aren't able to You've got a, 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 so you're independent either side of people next to you you can't move your arms um, you've got a head on your chest your head's on the person behind you's chest and you basically you just bob along in the sea like an object in the sea. One minute I'd been quite close to my dad, the next minute we'd be 20 yards away because it just flows like that. And you could see how a disaster could happen if you let some more people in because it wasn't organised. So I've always had this sort of feeling of no matter that the atmosphere is better when you're standing, which it is, it's not safe. If you have huge terraces, and I've always felt that, but I've been in safe standing. Well, I've I've been because I've been fortunate enough to be on the yellow wall at Dortmund. Say mm. it's safe, it's safe. I mean, you've barely got any room, really, which is good, a good thing. Not not in the way of being crushed, obviously, but you've essentially got two small steps, and then a barrier in the front of you, and a barrier behind you. There's nothing can push you forwards. There's nothing that can push you backwards. You are you're all right.
0: Still have seats as well, don't we?
1: And yes, I I went on it when it was standing. Yeah. Um, But you have seats. I mean, I've got to be honest and say, was it strictly monitored? I would say no. There were probably more people in our little bit than there should have been. Having said that, was it dangerous? No. No. Because there was no scope for a mass of people to push forwards. Mm -hmm. Because, uh, like I say, it's just like basically crush barriers going the whole length of the block and then another one. A yard or two behind. There's no scope for a crush. There's a little bit of a squeeze because I think people were. They have painted on them at Dortmund little lines to show where you should be, and two little painted footprints mm. to sort of say, right, you, that's your little bit there. Well, nobody's paying any attention yeah, to that, just, and nobody will. Safety laws. Yeah, but then at the moment, people aren't paying attention to the seats. Yeah. You know, I've been I've been to cup finals at Wembley where the aisles are full of people standing there where you, obviously we know. You know, people stand on big uh, stands like the cop anyway in the Stratford end, yeah. and sometimes you'll get people squeezing it, you know, treating it like a terrace between the seats. Yeah, yeah. And that's more dangerous than than. Yeah. Well, it's dangerous. so I'm not going to say it's more dangerous than a terrace. So I I I, I have had, I've gone on a bit of a journey with the whole safe standing thing, but I think it is safe standing, and, and so therefore I'd like that here. It'd be great to be pioneers, wouldn't it, really?
0: Well, yeah, and. Let the corner of the Rex Rent stand the bottom corner where the rowdy fans go. They're standing up anyway, aren't they? Yeah, so yeah. You, yeah. N- you may as well make it safer, safe standing. Yeah. I, I I maybe it's the rom- the romantic sort of feeling of me when I was a kid. It was always standing, and I think mm. a lot of people would like it to remain a standing stand. Yeah, okay. yeah. But maybe we need to think: is seating better? Is it more e- economical? It's it's a, it's a really interesting one. But I do see. I would love to see us be a pioneer with safe standing.
1: I think the thing is once you pay for the safe standing you've paid for it. Yeah. And we have owners who are willing to pay for it. Yeah. So we, you know, don't look like a gift horse in the mouth. I <laughs> so think is the, the yeah. obvious thing to say. Uh, I, I think that also that's the new modern coming technology. Yeah. Getting on it early then.
0: Yeah. And as well it, it's what I really like about the the cop the ball of the cop rolling now it's mm. the fact that these owners are willing to put their money where their mouth is, aren't they? And they've yeah. shown that with who they spent on the pitch. And now the cop, mm. there's now talks of what's happening with the cop, and that's brilliant. And I think, you know, you got to remember that there is kids who have watched Rex all their lives, mm. but never seen the cop in yeah. use.
1: Yeah, absolutely um, true.
0: And it's it would just be excellent to to have families go back and relive the old days back in the cop. Because that's where I started going. and I, Yeah, I, yeah. I I feel once they closed it, which. Was f- for obvious reasons it was unsafe but it, it was never the same mm. going to watch football yeah. in any of the stands and it hasn't been since so it would be yeah. A to maybe renew my season ticket at the bottom right hand corner where I used to stand <laughs> when I was a kid
1: yeah. oh, our spot was top left corner of the cop but not 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 all you know the singing and the tough lads in the middle cuz this is what I'm talking about you know when I'm sort of 15 16 and when we, when me and my mates started going up there and it showed how poor our crowds were that we would meet our regular routine was we'd meet sit on the st- the the Crispin Lane stand at the junction with Mould Road at 5 to 3 because that was plenty of time to meet up and walk in mm. There was never going to be a queue. There was never going to be a scrap for your spot. And uh, we just stand by there. And uh, yeah, great memories brought back from from the thought of that. i tell you what. Uh, you had to walk 30 yards to look at someone's programme, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Very different from, like I said, from that experiences of other Anfield. Um, and I was saying about being pinned in. Of course, you know, the, the classic situation. If on like a big terrace, old fashioned terrace like that, if you wanted. How should you put this delicately? If your bladder was full...
0: Hot pocketing, wasn't it called?
1: Um, <laughs> well, um, yeah. I, I was uh, the classic thing, I'm not sure if it's the same thing as that, yeah. um, Was um, I'm sure it's a tasty breakfast snack, <laughs> um, was to roll up your programme and use it as a funnel. And, uh, yeah, you'd often get the sort of Sudden warm feeling in the back of your legs, and say, oh! But there was nothing you could do about it. I'm afraid. Well, so it's,
0: it's better the footballers have fault from men, isn't it? Really? <laughs> I think, yeah, probably. <laughs> probably.
1: <laughs> but, the. <laughs>
0: but let, let's hope we can get the cop going because it was it's a spe- it was a special stand. It was the yeah. the iconic stand at the race course wasn't it? Really?
1: Absolutely. And you know, you know, if it's safe standing, it'll still be a good capacity. Yeah. I don't think it makes much difference to that. And just having it standing does at least mean that in league games it'd be alright. But you know, there's no point I don't think in not doing that and then having to cough up um and replace an obsolete new stand. Uh I I, I can't help looking across the road and seeing that Glyndur are knocking down some of the accommodation buildings they put up mm. very recently. Yeah. I don't want us to be waiting all this time for a new cop and then thinking, ah, but we have to fix it now. So, yeah. sort of five years later, ten years later, let's let's try and future-proof it as much as we can. You know, T-
0: take your time. There's no no yeah. rush, there?
1: Exactly. The, the the big thing for me though is the freehold. I, mm. I mean, the cop's a massive deal, yeah. obviously, but that freehold issue is the one that has all the way along led to issues for the club. Now, I'm my my, my personal take on it at the moment is good, great um let the owners have have that you know because i trust these owners i don't have an issue or a fear that they're going to be doing anything that we wouldn't be happy with however we have to even though they have said they're for the long run and i don't doubt them for a second we still have to understand that you know there will be a future after them no matter when it is let's hope a very 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 long time away um and you know we we do have to look at that now. There were promises and uh, sort of securities put in saying that it would be a hundred years where this was until twenty one twenty one that the co- the ground would remain owned by the club that we would not be allowed to play anywhere else um, unless unless there were extreme circumstances, which, which could easily happen, which justify yeah. moving. Like this ground becomes massively obsolete. It's got to be said. In terms of inter- infrastructure this club this ground is showing its age massively yeah. and the the work the owners have done have done since they bought it refurbishing its actions is superb uh, but it can't be more than cosmetic there's there there are deeper issues at the cop um at the at the club sorry um, in terms of infrastructure, there's not enough room under the stands to do things that to generate revenue. There's not dedicated areas for broadcast. Um, the, the, a lot of the old wiring and stuff is, is not great. There's not much parking. There's a lot of issues wrong about the race course, but it's home and we love it, so we want to stay here. But there could be a point in 60 years where everyone's on magical floating stands, stadiums, and we just have to have one of those as well. But, but they're sort of saying, as far as possible, foreseeable, they're not going to move anywhere. Great, uh, but and, and I also trust them when they say about you know they, they wouldn't sell us on except to the right people. I accept that as well. But a hundred years is a long time, and I I, I don't like the yeah you know, I, I no, no honestly I don't like it. My one query would be our our grandchildren you know that's yeah, yeah. <laughs> n- wonderful if we can secure it for us so, and realistically that's all we can do really mm-hmm. and i have total trust in their their intentions and their plan um but i would also like the idea that our grandchildren will definitely have a football club here uh, to follow and it won't, because at us owning the freehold when when we lost ownership that was looking to develop the club became a problem because people saw an opportunity to buy the club, yeah. shut the club down, and have this lovely land. Um, that's obviously the danger of the club owning the freehold. If, if you if you got the right types of owners, then it's brilliant to own the freehold. So I, I voted for us to have the freehold, but I I, I do... I'm not voting for it with my eyes closed. Just mindlessly, yeah. I can see there could be an issue, and we just have to trust the owners to be able to make things absolutely copper plated, so there can't be an issue.
0: Yeah, we've we've trusted them with the club anyway, so yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah, yeah I absolutely.
1: I mean, you know, lawyers are slippery. Yeah. So <laughs> there's always a way around different things. You know how how are you going to word that guarantee that we can't move unless it has to happen? You know, lawyers will find a way. To say, oh well, this means we have to do it. But I trust the current owners, at least. To, to you know, the, the key thing is to, to sort of to, the legacy they leave, if you like, of which hopefully is in a very long time, is is cast iron, and they're smart enough to make sure
0: that they do that. Yeah, it's yeah, it's not the it's not a particular the owners we have now. It's maybe the next owners yeah. or the owners after that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, they're, yeah. they're the ones that are. <laughs> we have to be a bit more vigilant about. It. Who mm. knows? They could be even better than the ones we have now. Oh. You? you never know.
1: Well, excuse me. <laughs> are you saying that there could be two better people than Robin Ryan? Oh. The, the, the fear in his eyes, Dan. I tell you.
0: But maybe it's there. Maybe it's someone one of their mates who's owned the club by then. You never know. Do you,
1: you said their mates are better than them.
0: No. This I'm I'm is saying, awful. I'm not saying that.
1: Are you saying that Danny De should run this <laughs> club? You are, aren't Actually, you? Yeah.
0: Uh, yeah. Excellent. Yeah, I'd take that.
1: Okay, fair enough then.
0: <laughs> and that's <laughs> the end of this segment. <laughs> that's the end of the show, isn't it? Yeah, I reckon. That's the end of the show, yeah. <laughs> so thank you for staying, uh, keeping tuned. It's been a intro- really interesting one, hasn't it?
1: Absolutely. Wealdstone tomorrow.
0: Yeah, uh, confident. I have to be yeah <laughs> look at the players you've bought
1: this summer yeah, <laughs> yeah we, we've got to get winning now and, and pushing on we, yeah. we've got to get that rhythm going get the points in and set ourselves up so that if we're bringing players in in January it's so that we can get a proper tilt at going up this um, season
0: we, we have to really be pushing for those playoff spots soon don't we because how do we're nearly reaching halfway point of the season aren't we and that's when you're After Christmas is when you have a real idea where people are going to finish, isn't it, really? Yeah, that's
1: true. Yeah, we need to just force ourselves up the pack a bit, don't we? Yeah.
0: So, this has been Che, this has been Mark. Thank you very much. This has been Dragon Art.
1: This is the final whistle podcast from the Rexham
0: AFC media
1: team.